it's 12.13 a.m. on Friday. Sitting in the studio right now, can't find my glasses, which is a pretty, pretty frequent thing that happens to me. I'm not sure if I left it outside in one of the vehicles. I'm not sure where it is. I'm not sure what's going on. I don't know. I had this entire plan to come down here and work on some freelance stuff. But after a while, my eyes begin to just fall apart looking at the screen. I get a headache, all of that sort of thing. So instead, I decided to go ahead and record a podcast because I can close my eyes. I can pet Luna, my little cat who is next to me right now, keeping me company down here as I'm recording. And it's nice and quiet. There's no storm happening. I've turned off the fans, everything else like that. So the studio is pretty quiet. So I'm going to go ahead and jump into a podcast. So this is Radio 74. I am Mari, the Artisan Rogue. Thank you for listening. Tonight, I'm going to talk about something called, and I've got three different ones, so I'm kind of actually choosing between the three. Um, I think what I want to talk about is, uh, okay, I'm, I'm down between two. One is Perfect Poverty, and the other one is Tape and String. Now, Perfect Poverty is about the whole rags to riches concept. And then tape and string is about the fragility of the socioeconomic norms. I think what I'm going to do is tonight, I'm going to go with tape and string. All right. So the reason I'm saying that is I'm going to go ahead and use this example. Maybe this, maybe this is a metaphor that'll work for you guys. Long time ago, probably about 1980. 485 no maybe it was later than that regardless it was in the 80s i was always jealous of everyone else that had kites and i lived on an air force base where there was a big open area and every summer that i lived there there were people out flying their kites and stuff so for a while i was like pretty serious about wanting a kite and wanting to go out there and show off my skills which i had none um with flying kites and you know growing up having watched things like the peanuts and Charlie Brown trying to fly a kite and constantly being defeated by the kite eating tree. I thought I, I thought that was enough, right? To understand that I, I didn't have to have a knowledge of wind and lift and construction and stability of the kite, you know, all that sort of stuff. Honestly, it's just a fun hobby, but I know that I've over the years, I've gotten to know plenty of people that are really into it, that have like a whole science based around it. And that's great too. I totally love when hobbies can go down that deep. In this case, it was something where I finally saved up my money and I had bought a, uh, I guess it was Mylar. It was a red see-through sort of plastic uh, flying dragon. And I think I actually have it in storage somewhere. I've been trying to find it because like a lot of other things from my childhood, I was fairly anal retentive about trying to keep about as much of it as I possibly could. My fear is that it got thrown away. My guess is that it's probably hidden away in some trunk or drawer or box somewhere in my parents' house or in storage. Either way, I remember when I first got that kite, I was so excited. I was doing everything in the world I could to just, you know, contain my excitement and my impatience over the fact that now there didn't seem to be any windy days. There were plenty of sunny days, plenty of cloudy days. And a lot of rainy days, which was weird because that was in Arizona. And I, I thought to myself, like, why is it raining so much? This is the desert. 
And then the next thing that would happen is that when I finally did get the chance to go out and do this sort of thing, I wanted to find an isolated field or maybe a place that I wouldn't be around other people. You see, I, since I didn't know much about flying a kite, I was really, really insecure about the whole thing. And I was a little bit too scared to ask people like how to do it. I thought, oh, you just put some string on this thing and you throw it up in the air and the wind will catch it and it should go aloft. And for the most part, that is really what you have to do. I know that there's probably a lot more behind it, but at least being a young kid, you know, that's what you do. And you run like an idiot in the opposite direction towards the wind to try and get your kite to go up. Now, I remember thinking that there was uh, this label that surely didn't affect me on the kite saying this is for more advanced flyers because of the construction of it. And there was a fair amount of string assembly and this bit of bamboo stick that had to be put through it to maintain the shape of the front of the dragon head on it, which was actually just flat. It was sort of a, a uh, shoehorn, or not shoehorn, a, uh, a shoe horse like shape on it. And then, you know, there was just a little bit of that that you had to put together and do and all these other things. And, and I, I thought I got through that fairly well. Well, so the next thing I'm doing is I finally do manage to find an area. It was out on the playground and the school at that time, you could get out on the playground. It wasn't a real big deal. And I got out there by myself and I started to fly the kite and I was really excited. Um, I didn't have a whole bunch of string with me and I didn't even really know like what sort of string to use. I had promptly managed to lose the string that did come with it. And I, the string I did have was only about 25, maybe 15 feet. To me, it might as well have been 700 feet. I was handling the kite in such an unwieldy way. And I was so excited because it was working in that moment. I was there in the zone. You couldn't talk to me, man. I was the kite master. I made a dragonfly for about a minute. And then it came crashing violently down onto the basketball court that I was standing on and it broke and it tore and it scuffed and I was sad. Now I gave you that as more of a metaphor toward what I really want to talk about the fragility of socioeconomic norms. As an artist, I'm well, 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 well too aware of this. You see, being creative today is fine. It's wonderful. In fact, I mean, I live in, around, and near a city, Kansas City, which is supposed to be the city of the arts. I think every city has that sort of thing emblazoned somewhere in some room when they want to look like they're super open to being that. I'm a little jaded in the fact that, you know, there's probably a fair more amount of artists that are under the under the radar or probably underappreciated or just unknown in this entire geographical area than there are people who are consistently featured on the pitch or Kansas City Star newspaper or just you know make the rounds and that's fine for the most part I don't really want to be known or anything like that and that isn't what this is about what I am talking about is far deeper and far more encompassing now. You see, something that has come to my attention in the last probably two years now is there is a lot that this is going to sound really crazy. One thing I am actually thankful for 
COVID for? And I'm almost hearing the, uh, the, the weird confusion on this from anybody listening to this. The thing I'm thankful for is that because of the really messed up situations that we've had with COVID, it has forced companies to suddenly give birth to a whole bunch of freedoms that previously had been sort of off the cuff, just or not off the cuff, but off the course of straight thought. And what I mean by that is this, most of you probably already get what I'm saying, but for a long time, you had to go in, you had to sit at a cubicle, you had to work a certain amount of hours or more, especially if you were salary and your wages were measured across a wide spectrum. This is what we believe the industry standard is. And all along the way, things in the economy keep going up in price. Not because necessarily things have become more scarce. Lord knows we have an overabundance of plastic, of other things like that. But primarily at first, it was because companies were trying to find more ways to make more money without spending as much. Now, I'm not anti-capitalist. I'm not. I'm an artist. I sell stuff. I can totally get that. What I am is wondering how we got to the point that it took something like COVID, something that became a pandemic and is still a pandemic, to make companies suddenly that much more transparent on how screwball things are. And I'm not complaining. I'm not about to go off on a rant. I'm simply posting some observations on this. You see, I got to thinking the other day, and as grateful as I am for a lot of the work I have, and I truly am, I'm really happy that as a freelancer right now, I'm I'm doing pretty good. In fact, I'm a little behind on things. The fact is that I got when I was at on when I was on location working at one place, I was pretty stunned. I had forgotten this aspect, and maybe some of you can can commiserate with me on this. I made a comment the other day on Facebook about how I didn't really understand how people would want to try and find some fast food to be able to eat through their lunch while they're eating with one hand and typing with the other or doing whatever they had to do. One of the last jobs I had, they used to have this annoying thing called a lunch and learn. And I remember getting in trouble because I would never, I would never go to them. And there, and a lot of times I'd get sort of chastised, like, you know, this is, this is a career move. You know, if you go and they, you show your face and you learn and you pick up these extra skills. And I was like, not during lunch. I'm not. That's my one time to get away from this cubicle. My one time to get away from everybody here. Not that I hated people, just sometimes you need to change a pace. Sometimes you need to change a scenery. Sometimes you want to go hang out with friends and have lunch or do whatever, or you got an errand to run, or there's something else you have to do because Lord knows you can't really take the time off without it being PTO and all these other sort of things. So for me, the concept of lunch and learn, which is let me take my lunch and awkwardly try and eat in front of people at the same time I'm trying to take notes, watch a slideshow or a PowerPoint presentation or a video presentation, or just listen to somebody who clearly doesn't have anything else to do with their lunch 
talk to me about leadership goals, concepts, who knows, because I never went to any of them. But hearing that came back again this time, and I could think only this, I don't miss that. Not at all. Now, what got me was that a fair amount of people said, hey, you know, I, that's actually what I do. I didn't hear, I didn't see anyone post, you know, yeah, I do that and it's a damn shame or yeah, that's kind of the norm. But why is it? Why, why is that the case? We've already proven because of COVID that companies are willing to let you work from home. They're willing to do whatever they can so that their bottom line, so that their top dollar, both, they both make it, you know, that they both succeed. Because ultimately, they don't want to take the time to try and find people that are retrained people or do anything else like that. They, you kind of, depending on the jobs you choose, and this is the vast majority of them, you're shoehorned into a certain amount of things you have to do. Now, I understand that whether you're working maybe fast food or you're doing certain kinds of jobs, I'm not saying that every single job is going to eventually lead to a CEO position or a CFO or like a mid-level management. I'm not saying that at all. I am saying that in a circumstance where you have a ton of jobs that are reliant on the computer, sort of like what I'm doing right now, you know, I'm recording this podcast on my computer and then I'm going to post it up later. This is all done right now at 1226 in the morning on my time and I'll be able to put it up and do what I need. I will be getting to some artwork and some design that I need to do for some clients tonight and tomorrow morning. And as long as I make my deadlines, as long as things make sense, there's no issue. And I'm able to earn money and get projects done and see more things happen for myself. Now, I'm fairly lucky in this. But I also don't believe for a second that I should be any sort of exception to the rule. It took me a long time to get to this point. And really walking away from the last couple of jobs I had meant some downturns where I didn't really know how all this was going to pan out or what I was going to end up doing. But like all things, if you go looking for it, you probably can figure out a way for it to work. Now, I understand that there are certain jobs, like when I worked at the stadiums, I couldn't do that from remote. I have to be there at the warehouse. I understand there are jobs like that. But all of this proved one thing to me, that a lot of the norm, the quote-unquote norm that we've established, and when I say we, I mean American society in general, because we've all played our parts. I don't care if you're liberal or conservative. That's inconsequential to this point in this discussion. And the reason for that is this. There has long been a withheld fact or uh, this this notion that's been held, not withheld, held, where a 40 hour work week is pretty normal, where, you know, if your salary, well, you know, I worked, oh God, you know, I'm tired. I worked a 10 hour day. There's a lot of water cooler talk that happens. And I find it a weird flex to say that somebody was like, you know, hey, buddy, I worked 60 hours this week. Why? Why in the world? Would you want to do that? Even if you were paid hourly, which most people that I've known who are like, I've been doing all this work, everything. It's not the flex you think it is. It's really not. I don't like to do some things that I enjoy for more than a couple of hours. So why in the world would I want to try and make money for somebody else for more hours? And at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, at the end of my life, look back at it and go, yeah, you know. 
yeah, I should have processed a few more things, done... The, no, I don't believe for a second that's going to be what's on my mind. My mind will probably be completely overwrought with, wow, I hope I left a good legacy, that I have a good standing, that what family I have will miss me, because I'll certainly miss them. Um, I'll be glad that I spent more time doing things now that in years prior I consistently pushed to the side. I think about that, and this is sort of a unique circumstance for me. I am pretty notorious for consistently recording on audio or video or photography a lot of things in my life. So pictures of family members and friends and pets and circumstances and places I've been to, things I've seen. So I, it's no lie that I have terabytes of stuff like this. And when I go back and I look through it for either reference or just trying to organize that this long running project where I'm trying to organize things to get it ready for a digital photo frame. So that way, I mean, we all add up a bunch of different digital media and we never look at it. I mean, no one ever looks at anyone's picture of the 4th of July fireworks. Let's be real. Uh, not even themselves. And because of that, you know, I'm able to look back at a lot of times and I think about how little time I spent with different people in my life. You know, even previous pets I had so much so that it becomes a point where I start to realize how fragile this is literally where the tape and the string comes into. Like we want this so bad, just like I wanted this kite. Right. But then you take it to flight, you start to in, in, invoke usage and you almost kind of ignore the fragility, the impermanence of what it truly is. The kite that I had was not meant for anything more than pretty much some enjoyment over a summer and possibly after the mylar wore out and everything had broken and that sort of thing or whatever after just a few months or a few weeks or in my case a couple of hours of usage that um you know you'd move on and get something else well life isn't necessarily like that as a whole you've you've got this one life you've got this one time that you're really working towards the the crazy part about this is is that the only time that is you know, this was a saying the other day that, that I came across and I had reposted it, that everything in life right now is either the a memory or a possible future. There is only the present, which is fleeting. So right now, even though I've been recording for what now, about 18 minutes or so, I can say I'm doing a podcast, but the start of it, of course, was 18 minutes ago, and I don't know how much longer I'll go, maybe another 10, 15 minutes talking. But right now, the, the convalescence of what I'm saying is that this moment right now is all I have, this very, very sharp, finite, clarion moment that exists as I'm speaking into this microphone. As my eyes are closed, and I can hear the air conditioning in the background, and I can feel the comfort of the chair I'm sitting in and the hardness of this desk that's in front of me. I'm living in this moment and I am grateful for it. But because of the whole tape and string fragility of what we have established our realities to be, I think that we can get caught up in a factor of misunderstanding how much time we truly have and how stable things are by norms that were not established by us. And because of that, I think that whether it's people arguing about masking up for COVID or getting the vaccine or a particular presidential candidate or anything in life, 
we tend to think of things like like they'll go on forever, almost like watching, you know, Nick at Night TV. And you see these reruns over and over again. Or like I've been on a Matrix kick. So I've watched the, the Matrix film like four or five days in a row now, just for the comfort zone of it. When you do that sort of thing, it's easy to get lost. It's easy to see that time isn't passing by. Or you think it's not, right? But it is. Every single moment that passes us by, it's a little bit less time we have. I mean, we're all mortal. That's just a, a truth that we live with. And it's something that we may not think about all the time, but it's consistently there. And I guess the takeaway from this for me is is that I don't understand where or how we got to this point to where when things get really hard for us to deal with, we will sink back into things that are comfortable for us, or maybe they are um, at least familiar. And so sometimes that involves and invokes repetitiveness, whether that's literally watching a rerun of a television show or just sticking to what the status quo is. I remember whenever I had gone to high school, the expectation was I was either going to go in the military or I was going to go to college. There was no other in between. Personally, I wish I had gone into a vocational trade or maybe joined the Marines, but I couldn't swim and I had bad knees and I really wasn't that good with cars. I didn't take any vocational classes whenever I was in high school and I really wished I had moved into something more like that at a collegiate level, but I didn't. Instead, I pursued art and theater and history, which were all fine and I loved all of those things. But when it came down to it, it wasn't anything where I was allowed to really, and I say allowed because my parents had a pretty big influence on me and still do to some degree. At that point, I remember thinking to myself, well, I'd like to try and figure out to see what I can do, or maybe it's going to involve me moving somewhere, doing something else. And I found myself not pursuing as much of my dreams as I thought I was able to. Now, I don't really blame anyone else for that. I really don't. Um, over the years, I've managed to come to terms with the fact that there are probably some things I will never do. And I'm okay with that. I, I really am. I mean, I have to be, right? Um, or do I? <laughs> See, that's that's kind of the switch there. Because the other day, I got to thinking about that. And there's a few things I haven't done. Like, I've I'm yet to create a toy design for a toy company that, that went into full production. Um, I've yet to voice a character that is in a fully animated faction of some sort, whether it be an episode of TV or a movie. Um, I have yet to, there's a ton of things that professionally I want to be able to do. Now, do I think they're impossible? No, they're not. Other people do it, but I have to be realistic and go, well, true. But, you know, part of it is, I need to also be cognizant of how much time is going by and what I'm allowing myself to do. And therein lies the key. I am my own tape and string. And that is a harsh, harsh reality to come to terms with. I got to thinking about that earlier today about how so many people, myself especially, will bow down to the norms and the realities of what society of what our jobs of what our livelihood about what our families expect of us and put upon us now for that we really can't be blamed 
And I've seen plenty of situations, whether it be like really awesome female bosses that I've had over the years that still had a hell of a fight amongst their peers and other management people that just didn't always listen to them or believe in them. I've been in circumstances where I worked for creative studios and facets that because I was younger or because I was talking about something that they weren't comfortable with or didn't understand, uh, I often got, you know, kind of my opinion got shelved or pushed over to the side. And, um, and that was something that ended up taking its toll on me. I, I remember how much I suffered from the early onset of depression at that point and a lot of self doubt. And it's a building factor that just starts to wear you down. So it's the same sort of thing when I was working at a couple different jobs, um, one of the last major ones I worked at, I really, really thought about a lot of circumstances where I was like, you know, if I just, if I just hang with people and just try and put my, 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 uh, almost turn yourself into a walking resume and make myself available for everything and never say no, just, you know, keep going and just, you know, work as hard as I can and work more than I can that I was going to find some semblance of uh, accomplishment, of fulfillment. And to the contrary, it never manifested. It never happened. Now, I can't say that that happens for everyone. There are some people that if they work hard enough and they're in the right circumstances and they know the right people, sure, they end up in a circumstance or a job or a position or whatever that works out great for them. And then they just kind of fumble their way through it. You know, they'll fake it till you make it or, you know, whatever. But in in the cases for me, All it did was it ended up expunging a lot of these, uh, I want to say not fever dreams, but like these weird kind of pie in the sky ideals that I had about circumstances, you know, like, um, I will be forever grateful for the opportunity to have been a voice actor. And I still get a chance to do voice acting. And to a certain degree, I mean, even doing the podcast and the independent stuff that I do now is still very much in that zone. I like getting on the microphone. I like speaking. I like talking. I mean, that should be freaking evident. But because of that and what I was going through at that particular time, you know, it was something where I had expectations of what it was going to be like and where things were going to go. And that's on my own failing where, you know, there's a certain point where you can hope for certain things, but then you have to understand that if other people don't necessarily want you to go that far or the opportunities aren't there because maybe there's a stopgap of some sort that can quickly deflate you and that can quickly make you rethink how you're going about things and what you're doing. And I know that it also made me understand on that point how fragile the pathways I had chosen in life were. And that also ended up unfortunately giving a lot of credence to any criticism or negativity or just naysaying that would come across, you know, my plate. And whether that was from people that I worked with or family members, it doesn't really matter. It was the lack of support there that ended up also leading me down this path of like, well, I'm not really sure what to do now. We've covered all of that. So what is the positive to take out of this? And I know what some of you may be thinking. If you've made it this far in this episode, there is a positive to this. So tape and string is also helpful in fixing things. And that's exactly what I did with my kite. When it broke, I went and in this case, I used more than tape and string. I got another stronger piece. This was a light piece of metal, bit of aluminum, and I fit it into the body 
and I taped it to the wooden rod and that had broken. And then I ended up getting heavier tape. I got longer string. I taped up all of the tears from when it hit the ground and I tried flying it again and I got it even higher. And for the next few weeks, I got the kite pretty darn high and I was really happy about that. And the same sort of thing has happened recently. I wish this had happened years ago, but you know, all in due time and late is better than never. I very much understand and realize that I can look back at things like working corporate jobs or any kind of job and see the things that maybe weren't so great from a different vantage point. Now, my hope is that more and more people will begin to understand that the way you work right now is completely up to you. And I know what you're going to say. Well, there's not that many jobs here. You know, my job's not that bad or these sort of things. There's a lot of weirdness that we will attribute to a job to convince ourselves that it's all right. There's a lot of things we'll do to prevent ourselves from being disappointed by trying something and failing. And I know for a fact that I needed to be able to walk away from a lot of the circumstances I had prior. I've never been happy sitting in a cubicle. I've never been happy doing anything that is remotely corporate for any real length or stretch of time. I don't mind it on occasion. And I've worked in some circumstances where I go on site and do this sort of thing and I'm fine. But I think because of the weird circumstances over the years of just having worked in those environments and then never really having gone anywhere with it or just continually been, you know, either part time or relegated to a side, you know, component. It really soured it for me. And I know that there's plenty of people that I, I still got plenty of friends that work corporate jobs and some of them are very happy with it and that's fine. But I know that there's a lot of confusion when I talk to them and they're like, Hey, there's this positioning opening up or there's this one you, you should really put in for it. No. Why would I want to do that? I'm doing exactly what I want to do. It may not always be, the most stress-free thing. It may not always be um, exactly what I want, but it is far closer to what I had always aspired to compared to everything else I'd done for the last 18 to 20 years professionally. And that in and of itself is worth more than I could possibly imagine. And what I'm hoping is, is that and this is a long stretch. I know that we can't really control, we can't really control how companies are except to do everything we can. And this is going to be really, really kind of broken up my thought process, but we can do a lot, right? We can speak with our wallets. We can do a lot of different things like that. But the true challenge is when you're working for a, an environment that expects you to hit certain goals and certain points because it's all about numbers and schedules and shipping and data and price point and getting product out by certain times. That's all great. That's fine. I understand that, you know, I mean, we need that sort of stuff to a certain degree, but I'm worried that with companies like Amazon and the way they treat their workers or other corporate entities that, will consistently lower the bar for people that work there in a lot of ways. 
there should be a lot more quality thought given to the fact that those are people, people with lives, people with histories, people with aspirations, ideas, thoughts, concepts that if suitably rewarded, recognized beyond a congratulatory email or a fist bump or something like that, both of which I've gotten in my professional career as like, hey, that idea was great, fantastic. I'm going to send this email out, copy everybody across the board, including some of the higher-ups, not the totally higher-ups, but some of the higher-ups to let them know you're a team star. That's just painful. That's not the kind of stuff that I feel should be the norm. But it's amazing. It's almost addictive. And I think it's one of the reasons why place like series like The Office or the movie The Office Space or IT Crowd, when things like that are made into popular media, there's a lot of truth behind the pain and the ridiculousness and the weirdness that happens in those in those sort of environments. And all I can think to myself is I'm hoping someday that just like I watch a lot of older shows like Dragnet or whatever sort of shows, Gunsmoke, anything else like that, where there's certain, you know, societal factors in there that I'm like, oh, that wouldn't really fly today. I'm kind of hoping that we can look back someday on these things and go, man, do you remember when jobs actually were like this? Can you rem Do you remember having to work 45 hours a week or longer? Do you remember having those stress attacks when you're just trying to have a lunch and you're forced to sit with a bunch of other strangers or people or coworkers or whatever, and the entire time you're thinking, oh, man, am I getting silently judged? Are these people like, do they know, know more than me? Should I have brought a notebook to this? I mean, I'm eating chicken wings you know, or or whatever the case is. I just I'm shocked by like how fragile society has made us in general. And I'm not talking about some lift your boots, lift your stuff up by your bootstraps kind of bullshit. I'm talking about the fact that we literally kowtow to what a lot of corporations are making us do, you know, and that happens. And this is another thing. And maybe this is a whole other episode. But the truth is, is that. I'm often inspired by a lot of 60s and 70s counterculture. And I remember the very first zine fest that I ever went to. That was something also there that you could literally say that a lot of publications that were printed out and put out on, on a minor scale were kind of put together by ideas that were held together by tape and string. But they were resolute. They were strong. They were powerful. They were whimsical. They rhymed. They, they were offbeat or just strange. But they were beautiful because they weren't online. They existed in this imperfect format that was right there in front of you. And I believe that previously the counterculture literally existed in a way, especially in the 60s and 70s, where there are no doubt hundreds, if not thousands of bands, poets, um, activists that made publications that most people will never get a chance to see, to read, to experience because they were fleeting. They were made for a small moment and then they were gone. Nowadays, and I'm very guilty of this, you do a podcast, you do whatever you can, get those listens, get those likes, get those followers, right? But we're still locked down to larger corporations being able to provide the gateways for us to get out there. Whether that's 
Facebook, you know, stimming your your page's reach because hey, you're not paying for the advertisement, or TikTok randomly just banning people. Um, Twitter is kind of a wasteland from time to time, even using the right hashtags. Etsy is another example of that. You know, it used to be pretty handmade. Now just about anyone can get on there and and sell. You know, it's kind of nuts. So the thing is, is that I really do wonder if the future itself won't be held together with tape and strings for better or worse. We've got a double scenario going on. We're either going to mess this up so bad that that's all we're going to have to help rebuild a lot of what is going to be torn down because of indifference, because of just this nonchalant, weird bullshit attitude that a lot of people have of just being reluctant to see change come about and then dealing with the fallout of it. Or is it going to be something where people like you and I can maybe make a real genuine effort to make something special, to make things that aren't available through Amazon, online, or anything like that that is controlled by corporations, whether it's clear channel media that I swear can probably controls more than Disney or anything like that, that where you don't need an ISP, where you don't need a phone to enjoy it, where you can literally go to a show, you can literally go to an event and you can see something there and genuinely be surprised. Now, I'm not here crapping on media or digital content or anything. There's a lot out there and I love a lot of it. And I am happy that there has been an explosion of it. But I really don't believe right now that we've evolved enough to accept what the repercussions and actions and whole overall aspect of social media is. We've seen that from disinformation about the elections, um, just dumb things from that to COVID. There's a, there's a truth out there, people. It, simple math, simple science can prove a lot of this stuff. And I don't know enough about political science or normal science, healthcare or anything else like that to really weigh, on, weigh in on this. That's a reason why you won't really hear me go on too much about it, except for what I know from the CDC and what votes are counted. In those circumstances, that makes sense to me, and I don't really question it too much. But... And the circumstances where we're dealing with companies and we're dealing with the influence and all of that weighing in on us. I do wonder if that's not a good circumstance to be able to say, I don't really want to be sold everything by Amazon. I maybe want to discover a band of my own accord or maybe because somebody told me and that creates at least a little bit of a bridge for conversation and getting to know an individual without having it be blown back in your face that, hey, maybe they're more conservative than I am, but we can still find some common ground because we like this band or we like this artist or this book was really cool. I don't know. Maybe that's just a dream. Maybe it's a reality that'll happen. I'm not really sure. Either way, I'm glad that a drawer behind me is filled with tape and string because I never know when I'm going to need it. Thanks for listening, guys. This has been... Uh, Radio 74, and I am Mario the Artisan Rogue. You can certainly catch me on a bunch of other social media, and I am very happy for all of you that have managed to keep on listening to this podcast. I really do appreciate it. Until next time. <laughs>